0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: Ref blows the whistle, keeping players back. Catley takes the time, steps up, left foot strikes into the keeper the wrong way and sends Australia into the lead. The bench into the Raptors and the stadium into joy as well. The tension that built up through the first 50 minutes of this match Has the pressure valve release. Was it just me or was it a little hard to breathe until that moment of the Matildas' win over Ireland? An injured calf meant Sam Kerr had to join the rest of Australia as a fan for the night. And while all concerned are relieved to have a win, there's plenty to discuss. We'll do just that in a moment with Neve Owens. Plus, we're going to review a calamitous day for Australia at the Ashes with Corbin Middlemass. There'll be weekend forecasts of AFL and NRL, and of course, as always, sound bites. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. (laughs) Neve Owens is the host of Optus Sports World Cup coverage. Neve, a tense opening win for the Tillies. Can you give us a sense? of the rising sense of dread when the news dropped just before kick-off that Sam Kerr, Captain Courageous, was out.
0: Oh, Stacky, what a moment it was. I feel like we have been counting down to watching Sam Kerr lead this side out on what we knew was going to be such a momentous occasion for so long. And in terms of the human side of that, for Sam Kerr herself, you know, we've been waiting for this moment for a long time. So it's nice that it's finally here. But at the moment, we're just excited. We've been ready to go all week. So I'm sure her disappointment was immense. And for football fans around the country, I reckon there would have been been a gulp. Luckily, we have attacking talent, Stacky, but we are so used to seeing her as that centre point, that linchpin, that clear nine who makes stuff happen, you know? Yeah,
1: I think the reason many give Australia a chance of winning this World Cup is Kerr. So, how would you sum up the Matildas' performance without her? Got the three points, but what did you make of it all?
0: Do you know what? They will take that three points absolutely every day of the week with your skipper, that talismanic figure dropping out just before the game. One of the best footballers on the planet. I think without Sam Kerr there to get the win against an Irish team who are very difficult to score against. And that's been... A setup that the Matildas have struggled to break down in the past. And in different games throughout the recent Matildas history, we've seen them just kind of hurl the ball forward and hope that Sam Kerr can do something amazing.
1: Brazo still drives it in towards Kerr! And Sam Kerr! the ball home at
0: the near pose we didn't see that last night stacky we saw them use their midfield i thought katrina gory was immense
1: great defending getting back there who else katrina gory has just taken the corner kick at the other end of the field got all the way back deep into her own half to steal the ball away from Caruso's toe.
0: She does so much at both ends of the park and she really ensures that we're still working on those channels through the middle of the park and we're not just relying on pace on the edge all the time.
1: So next up Nigeria in Brisbane, followed by Canada, just four days later, that is the game they're sort of targeting as a potential return date for Sam Kerr. But what are you hearing about the severity of the injury? How much might it impact her involvement, not just at the group stage, but for the tournament as a whole?
0: Hearing very little, Saki, which worries me a little bit. I'd love to be hearing a little bit, you know, more positivity, I guess, or, or more hopeful conversation. They've certainly said that she's out for the first two games, so we know she won't be back against Nigeria next week. If the Aussies can get a win against Nigeria in Brisbane on Thursday night, that's six points in the bank. That's progression into the knockout stages. And maybe then that means that four or five days later when they meet Canada, there isn't the same pressure to return the skipper because calf injuries, they're dodgy, aren't they? They're hard to predict. I really would love to see her get minutes against Canada. It's the toughest game in the group. They're the Olympic champs. They beat us a couple of times on home soil last year. Bev Priestman, the coach, is tactically really astute and they've got some really gun players in this side. So I think that will be a hugely difficult game for the Matildas and we know that in all likelihood, whoever finishes second in this group will play England, the Lionesses, the European champions in the round of 16. So top spot in group B is big. So I just think we all need to spend the next 10 days with our fingers crossed at all times and hope for the best.
1: Certainly we will be doing just that. <laughs> Let's um, Just zooming out for a moment from last night, Lee. can you just help us find the meaning in the occasion? What do you think that fixture just did for women's football and women's sport in Australia? Because it felt electric coming through the TV screens.
0: Do you know what? It really did, Stacky. The vibe, the atmosphere, the excitement at Sydney Olympic Park last night was just immense. The,
2: the crowd, by the way, you mentioned 75,784. Uh, it's certainly an Australian record, uh, but it's also the ninth highest attended women's football match ever. That includes all club games, FA Cups, uh, european friendlies, international games, World Cups.
0: I had my little girl there, and she got to see a stadium full of people on the edge of their seats for these boss women out in the middle doing their thing. And what we'll now see, Stacky, over the next month is the front and back pages of the newspapers, this top of the news report in the evening, as well as the sports section, all of those conversations around female names, female voices, female achievement. And I just think for the next generation... That is gonna make such a massive difference to them and their lives and what they think this stuff should look like, what they think these conversations should involve. That's such an exciting thing for us to have here in our own backyard.
1: It's getting dusty in here. Who's cutting onions? (laughs) Dave (laughs) Holland's beautiful picture painted by you. Thanks so much. Enjoy the coverage. We look forward to watching.
0: Thanks so much, Stacky. Speak soon.
1: Round 19 of the AFL is looking that good. Gooder than good. Great. Friday night, we kick things off with Essendon taking on the Bulldogs. Has there been a weirder injury this season than Dogs coach, Luke Beveridge? He broke his hand at half-time last week as he tried to, quote, raise the energy with a fire-up speech. How's this line from him?
0: It's quite innocuous and a little bit clumsy, but injured it, and uh, but carried on and, you know, it didn't affect me and it's all fixed and business as
1: usual. Well, he's only got one good hand left, so they're going to have to find other ways to fire up against the Bombers side that will be desperate to atone for a 77-point loss to Geelong. Speaking of the Cats, they take on the Lions, who might have lost by a point to the D's last week, but they got some street cred in the process. They're now back at the Gabba against the Geelong team that has felt like it's been struggling all year, but they're currently fifth despite that, and a win for the Cats would keep them in touch with fourth place Melbourne while the Lions could close in on the top to so if they can grab the win at home in this Saturday night twilight fixture. Many have seen this season as a race in two. Collingwood is the one seed and Port Adelaide is the challenger. The power lost some momentum when they were flogged by Carlton last week, but Port's also welcoming back a heap of talent for this one, including Dixon, Horn Francis, Rioli and more. Add to that the two clubs' ongoing tiff over the prison bar jumper and who gets to wear it when. Look, it might be one of the more stupid conversations in the AFL. Unless you're the Power and the Magpies, they really care about it and it's going to add some extra spice in this spicy margarita of a footy game. And you can drink that one down and every game, live and free on the ABC Listen app. After two days of the fourth test, England very much in control in the ashes at Manchester to talk us through it is Corbyn Middlemass. Corby, day two was a train wreck for the Australians. Was it more about England's brilliance or Australia being in disarray?
2: Well, I think what makes the question interesting is, of course, there's an element of both. But if I'm if I'm leaning into one, I think it's more about the Australians being in disarray. I think one thing that's underpinned the whole series so far is how evenly matched the two teams have been for large periods. You often get to the end of a session or the end of a day and you feel like it's a coin flip and if one thing breaks one way or the other in the morning, it'll decide the, the course of the match. Whereas what we saw yesterday was one side completely dominate the day and we've seen very few of those throughout... Yeah, the four test matches so far. So England completely beat the Australians into the ground. And I felt like for the Aussies, it was themselves putting thorns into their own paws at times, particularly with firstly the lineup they chose. So it's not a balanced team. So immediately I feel like you upset mother cricket a little bit by leaving out a spinner and going in with the lineup that they have. Uh, and then that middle session where Crawley and, and Root were up and going, scoring at seven runs and over, that they changed plans multiple times. It was clearly to see, and Andrew McDonald said as much in the aftermath. Yeah, I, I mean, we shifted plans a couple of times in the middle session, and you know, it was seven and over during that middle session, and that's, that's far too many. England never looked back at that point on, largely due to the fact that the Australians
1: never looked forward. Pat Cummins seemed to be really struggling to steer the ship. Are days like that the reason why people say that fast bowlers shouldn't be a captain?
2: I'm hot on this one, and I believe in Pat Cummins sort of leading this team in his captaincy. And I feel like whenever the team does well, the credit is divided up. So it's never sort of wholly given to to Pat Cummins. And I don't know why that is. Maybe because there's this narrative around him that he's, you know, so-called this inner-city lefty who's, you know, woke and so-called and all this other stuff that gets uh, levelled and and sort of thrown at him from time to time. But I think what we have in the Australian cricket team is the closest things to co-captains. So we have Smith... And we have Cummins. And when Cummins missed that test match in India, they wanted everybody wanted to heap all this praise on Steve Smith about what a great tactician he is. And yet I feel like whenever the team wins, Pat Cummins is always saying, look, it's just not me out there. I've got a bowl. I've got to worry about what I'm doing. And Steve Smith is also there as my deputy to be able to tell me what's going on and help with field placings and everything else. So they approach it very much on a collegial front as a duo. So it's them plus McDonald and all their strategists and everybody else. I don't feel like we give Cummins all the credit when the team wins. So when the team loses and has days like this, I'm not giving him all the blame. So he was bowling and he was leaking runs, and and obviously that looks bad as the captain of the team. But I'm probably thinking, you know, where's Smith? Where's McDonald? Where's the the voice from the dressing room to try and take control of the situation in that moment? I don't think it's it's a one man show as much as um, you know we're, we're used to seeing in cricket with uh, with the captain leading the way, certainly in a in a bygone era. It's
1: beautifully set up, Corbin Middlemass. Thanks for your time. Anytime. If notorious BIG could describe this round of NRL action, we reckon he'd call it juicy. Friday night sees eighth placed South Sydney hosting the second place Broncos. On the Sunshine Coast, Latrell Mitchell might be known as the Tari Ferrari, but the bunnies are keeping the fullback in the garage for at least another week. Aside from Sam Kerr, Mitchell might have the most scrutinized calf in the country, but even with him missing, don't get it twisted. This game has star power galore. Souths have listed nine players coming back in, including Origin Guns, Murray, Walker, Cook, Arrow, and Colomantangi. Brisbane, you ask, Reese Walsh is back from the Naughty Corner after taking time to write, I will not swear at the referee on the whiteboard 100 times add to that Pat Carrigan and Payne Haas who is playing amidst enormous contract speculation and we have two teams fired up and ready to go On Saturday, the 7th-placed Cowboys host the ninth placed Parramatta in Townsville. North Queensland's Jake Granville is about to chalk up 200 games, and aside from having one of the best mops of hair in the NRL, he's been Mr. Reliability for the Cowboys. Can his teammates salute in his honour? A win would do enormous damage to the Eels as they commence a rough run home. After this game, Parramatta have three of their final five games against teams currently in the top four. Okay, time for some straight talk. We want the Titans to be good. But they always seem to disappoint. They can still make the eight, but if the Gold Coast are going to do it, they need to get moving. They take on a Rooster side who has been historically disappointing this season. That one's also on Saturday. Catch every game live and free on the Listen app. sound bites. After one day of the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool, Christo Lamprick was tied for the lead after finishing 5-under, and the journalists were asking the 22-year-old South African the difficult questions. Who's the tallest golfer you've ever played with? Tommy Morrison. He plays at Texas, a freshman at Texas. He's like 6'10 right now, so... (laughs) I played with him recently and looked up to him, and he's like, "Hey, big guy." And I was like, "Okay," <laughs> it caught me off guard a little bit, but yeah, he's he's pretty tall. Lamprek is six foot eight himself, so you're not likely to miss him on the course, and he is only the second amateur to lead the open after the first round in the last. 50 years. Daniel Ricciardo will return to the Formula One grid this weekend in the Hungry Grand Prix for Team AlphaTauri, joining fellow Australian Oscar Piastri. It's the first time since 2013 there will be two Australian drivers at the top level, and when asked about that fact, Piastri found a way to admire and insult Ricciardo all in one fell swoop. Yeah, I'm very happy for him, for him to be back. Um, I remember watching when it was uh, two Aussies last time around. So, um, no, it's very, very cool. You know, we're from uh, a long way away and uh, it's pretty rare to have two of us at the same time. was
0: asking how old he was when he was watching 10 years ago. So he was 12. Yeah, I was 12. It's crazy. Ouch. You know how we
1: criticise athletes for being fake or dull in press conferences? Tadej Pogacar deserves credit for his candour. After stage 17 of the Tour de France, a stage where he lost six minutes to overall leader Jonas Vingegaard, the Slovenian told it like it was. I'm dead. It's like I try to eat as much as possible, but it was like nothing goes in my legs. Everything just stays in my stomach and I come really empty. I like that guy. He can still hold on to second with some decent performances across the weekend. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to the Tour de France, Formula One and Paramount Plus for the extra audio used in this episode.
0: Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.